wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Welcome to A Quirky Journey. This is Fuad Kassab and with me I have my co-host, Joe Witten. Hi, Joe. Hello. How you going? Fantastic. That's so good. today... Uh, We've got a special guest, someone um, who uh, actually trained me in some physical fitness not too long ago. And uh, it's uh, part of um, a lifestyle that I've been pursuing for years now to learn more and more about um, what uh, this young man has to teach. Um, Just to give you a little bit of background, around maybe four years ago or five years ago, I was um, at work taking a lunch break and I came across this video on YouTube uh, called something like the workout that the world had forgotten. And I saw this guy, he was um, in the island of Corsica, just swimming through the rivers and pushing logs and jumping over rocks and um, climbing trees and crawling and doing all sorts of amazing things. Uh, And he looked like, um, you know, unlike what we usually think of fit people, like extremely bulky or anything like that, he was quite lean and strong and fast and I was really, really impressed by uh, the way that that person was moving and was a far cry from the way that I uh, was at the time. Like may, maybe at the time I'd, I'd began to lose some weight. I'd lost, the, um, I come to think of it now, maybe it was five or six years ago, but I was beginning to lose weight and uh, starting to get interested in other aspects of ancestral lifestyles other than just the paleo way of eating. And um, what this movement um, that that person was doing was is called MoveNet. And I started learning a little bit about it online. There wasn't too much to, to learn. And the gentleman who I watched was called Erwan Lacour. And he sort of had combined uh, parkour with natural movement. So it took parkour, which is this um, thing that you would see in movies or documentaries or TV or whatever, where um, it started in France, where these kids would, would run around urban areas and jump around these buildings from one building to the other and do these crazy flips and all that. And um, for someone who had come from like an obese background, it was very difficult for me to uh, do any kind of natural movement stuff. Like I still have a lot of problems when it comes to my own movement practice. And it really inspired me to expand my view of um, the ancestral view and sort of look at other aspects in my life that I can apply an ancestral view to in order to gain a um, health benefit. And I kept my eye out uh, on the movement movement for years and I had a an email and in my inbox uh, early or late last year, I can't really remember, talking about a MoveNet um, course in Sydney. And this is where I met, uh, met Matt Rutley, who is our uh, guest for today. Um, Matt was an incredible coach. He took us for two days through uh, amazing uh, natural movement uh, styles and all these techniques that I I wasn't aware of. Um, It changed the way that I actually view my body, changed the way that I interact um, with uh, my physical environment and um, it imprinted on me um, greatly. So it was such a an interesting two-day course for me and I wanted to bring Matt on board. First, firstly, Matt, I'll just say hello. Hey, how you going? How are you? I'll, uh, Matt, I'll give a little bit of background. I have a, a bit of a blurb from Matt. So Matt Rutley is a human movement specialist and adaptability coach. He is the owner, founder, and head coach of Stage 6 Health and Fitness in Nanda, Australia. Well, is that right? Nanda, is that how you say it, Matt? Yeah. Yep, that's All how right. you say it. So this is Australia's first dedicated natural movement facility. He has been coaching various sports and martial arts since 2010, 
both in Australia and the US and is the MoveNet team instructor for Australia and the Pacific Rim. Matt has always had the gift for learning and picking up new things. Growing up on a farm in the Australian bush, physical competence, efficiency, and adaptability were all part of Matt's daily existence. His father taught him and his brothers about bushcraft, carpentry, survival, hunting, tracking, butchery, and blacksmithing. He credits his uh, this early education in natural movement and adaptability to his success as a coach, a semi-professional rugby athlete, a fighter, a craftsman, artist, and even a protection bullfighter, which I, I learned is uh, another word for a rodeo clown. His passion <laughs> now is natural movement as a way to help people unlock their own adaptive and creative potential. Welcome, welcome, Matt. How, are you, how is everything going, mate? Um, very, very good. Uh, the the heat wave has slightly uh, eased up here in Queensland, so things are a lot more comfortable now than what they were about a week ago. Fantastic. Well, we, we're doing all right, too. We're around 10 degrees um, cooler, which is still hot, 36 degrees today, but we're, oh. we're doing okay. <laughs> we're about 25 so, here, so. How much is it? So it's about 25 here. We're up in far north Queensland. Moving. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, Hi, Matt. <laughs> hey, hey, young joke. Good. I'm fascinated by your story. Just your bio is is very fascinating. I can't wait to hear what you've got to teach us. I can't <laughs> wait to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so this is I realized actually when during the course is that Matt is uh, really excellent at uh, telling stories and um, talking about concepts and delivering it to people, and it uh, really made me want to bring him on the show. So Matt, maybe give us a little bit of background about your, your um, you know, how uh, your early years came to prepare you for this kind of life and um, what attracted you to it. Yeah, well, so like, like I was saying, it growing up on a farm. Um, and particularly, like I, I credit mainly my father with with the the upbringing as far as movement goes. Uh, but it was one of those things where I took it for granted. I just assumed that it was the way that everyone was raised, and and I even took it for granted that even sort of other country boys were raised the same way. But but my father uh, was a very uh, extraordinary man and part of what made him so extraordinary was the fact that he didn't and still doesn't understand that he is extraordinary <laughs> and so he was a, a, like a very resilient resourceful adaptable and, and capable uh, human and so my brothers and I just had to uh, we had to keep up and so in order to help him out on the farm we had to there was there was only really sort of two options and that was to to, to shape up or, or ship out and so <laughs> we if we didn't keep up with him then we weren't uh you know sort of we weren't earning our keep and so uh i assumed that that was the way that everyone was brought up and so when i moved away from home uh every year i spent away from home the more i realized that what I had experienced as a child and the, the breadth of knowledge that had been passed on to me by my father and that, that was also held by my father was truly unique and that I had actually been given through that upbringing, I'd been given quite a rare gift and that was the ability to uh, to adapt to new things and transfer what I knew to new endeavours where uh, – yeah, that was a necessity of of growing up on the farm was that I just had to be able to 
to pick things up very quickly. Uh, I couldn't afford to be to be slack on things, and so uh, you know, mum mum definitely had you know played a played a big role in uh, you know sort of uh, keeping us all well fed and mm-hmm. uh, and well loved. But uh, it really was watching my father, who is a, a, a very uh, you know a, a jack of all trades, mm-hmm. seeing him mm-hmm. and the way he approached. Uh, his life and the way he approached learning new things like he's he's always been a guy that had a very uh very deep thirst for knowledge and i noticed that even when i was a young kid that my father if he meets someone that knows something that he doesn't know uh, some people get threatened by that like a lot of people like Mm -hmm. to try and find what they have in common with people so that they can talk about what they already know and what is comfortable. My father's the opposite. He tries to find what he doesn't know that they do and he he seeks to be taught. And so he, he asks questions and he mm. he really does care to learn things that he does not know. And so that was something that I very much inherited and, and, and picked up from him. And so that led me to uh, a realisation in, because like I, I grew up, playing like lots of sports and uh, and not trying to not trying to blow my own trumpet but I was because of my adaptability I was very very good at picking up new sports and and so I was always um there there isn't a sport I haven't played that I didn't (laughs) do well I may not be the the you know the the best in the world but I did well at, at everything that I sort of put my hand to and uh that sort of then carried on into other career choices uh and so when i was a, you know around 25 i sort of realized I, I sort of put it all together that that my movement like my upbringing and that that necessity to be able to adapt and learn new things was what had seen me succeed in that manner and that it was all to do with the way I had moved as a child and the kinds of things that I was required to do so that's really when I became passionate about trying to give other people those same tools so using their bodies and and moving their bodies the way they're designed to move so that I could give them the, the same tools I had to transfer what they know to other aspects of their life so with the MoveNet in particular, uh, can you give us a little bit of background for us to um, know about MoveNet and uh, what it is and uh, talk to us about the broad concepts that it brings to the table? Yeah, so MoveNet, the, the, where MoveNet came from was, uh, like, so Awan uh, Lacour, as you mentioned, uh, he created a system of essentially teaching people how to move the way we're designed to move. And so if you were to take a kangaroo, kangaroos all move like kangaroos. Uh, If you came across a kangaroo that moved like a crocodile, there would be something wrong with that kangaroo. Uh, The same with crocodiles. They move like crocodiles move. If there was a crocodile that was hopping like a kangaroo, you would think there was something wrong with the crocodile. And so... We're no different. Uh, we are a very adaptive creature. We are the most adaptive animal in the animal kingdom. Uh, but we do still have physical 
designs and limitations on on the joints and muscles of our body. We have specific ranges of motion that we are meant to express. Uh, we have specific, uh, you know, we have specific evolutionary adaptations uh, that that other members of even sort of our, our close relatives in the animal kingdom, like the the great apes, we have uh, we're we're bipedal, uh, therefore we have like longer legs, smaller arms, so we don't have the same sort of of structure. So our bodies are very much designed to move in a certain way, and because we have domesticated ourselves, which uh, you know is. Uh, you know, that, that's not all a bad thing. Like a lot of people in the rewilding movement talk about domestication as if it, as if it was a sin against, against humanity. But <laughs> I'm quite glad that I don't live in a cave anymore. Mm, uh, I'm quite glad. <laughs> yeah. I'm quite, I, I enjoy things about, it. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm probably one of the more, um, yeah, like, I mean, I, I do still really enjoy going out bush and, and, you know, trying to, trying to sort of pit myself against nature but i enjoy the fact that that is not a permanent struggle that i live in and so we were able to domesticate ourselves and pull ourselves out of that environment and out of that that sort of system of of being uh you know sort of every single day you didn't know where your your meals were going to come from you didn't know whether you know you were going to get chased down by a pack of predators or, or something like that but in that domestication process, what we have done is we've uh, we've moved too quickly away from our design for our bodies to keep up, and so our bodies are still operating the same way that they did thousands and thousands of years ago. So uh, we've we've been Homo sapiens have been a recognised uh, species for two hundred and fifty odd thousand years which means we are genetically the same uh, as far as, as, as science is considered as to the humans that were around 250,000 years ago. Our bodies are no different. We've only been living a, a, a really domesticated life for the last you know, couple of hundred years, really. Uh, you know, we went agricultural you know, 10,000 years ago, arguably. Uh, but so... The majority of our time as a as a species, you know, for 230, 240,000 years has been living at the mercy of the elements. And then even after that, it's been movement was such a necessary part of our day-to-day life that we couldn't escape it. And so we didn't need to work out. We didn't need to train. Life was our training. Problem is we've engineered ourselves so successfully out of that system that we now don't have to move and we don't need uh, that, that movement. It's not a necessity, but our body does still need it. And so we're now struggling with the, uh, with the other sort of design thing that we have where we, we have to try and conserve energy all the time because our body is still operating as a survival machine. And so because we want to conserve energy, we have to sort of, we, we have to force ourselves to move. When we force ourselves to move, we're often not honouring our design. And so we kind of need MoveNet's all about trying to honour the design so that we can actually start replacing the movement that used to be in our, in our day-to-day life. We need to try and replace that so that we can, uh, we can essentially fulfil our, our human potential. And so 
Um, yeah, really, it's just about trying to move like cavemen but not have to live like cavemen. <laughs> so can you break down maybe the uh, basic human movements which uh, MoveNet focus on? Yeah, so there's, there's three main branches to it. Uh, there is the, the, the first and the, the biggest portion of, of your movement diet should be locomotive skills. Uh, and so that is moving your own body through space. So that is running, jumping, walking, crawling, climbing, uh, you know, balancing, all those, sorts of, all those sorts of skills where you are moving your body through space. And so when you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, that would have been the majority of our movement because it was looking for food essentially or, or migrating to more fertile places. So uh, you then have the manipulative skills, which is moving other objects through space, uh, which is lifting, throwing, catching. Uh, again, that, that ref, you know we needed to lift heavy things and carry heavy things, but we also needed to throw things very accurately uh, and powerfully. So, you know, throwing spears or, or throwing boomerangs or other heavy object objects at things, or even let's be honest, at other people sometimes. <laughs> and uh, but then there was also yeah, like carrying animals back to camp that had been successfully hunted, or building shelters, you know, carrying logs to build bridges and things. So uh, the third uh, branch, and this is one of the one of the aspects that really does set move that apart is that it focuses on combative skills and so that's the that's the third uh, little branch that we concentrate on and the one we concentrate on the least but fighting is in our dna and it's something that a lot of people uh, a lot of people aren't comfortable with but there is a reason why we talk about the freeze fight or flight reflexes uh, any animal has a, a, a fight reflex in it and so you you corner any animal and any animal feels threatened enough they will fight and so it's a it's something that we believe should be uh, a skill that like for instance we all have a legal right to defend ourselves but not many people have the ability to successfully defend themselves and so um, again that's that's part of our domestication process is is uh there has been the the uh, like violence has been made a taboo, and we say things mm -hmm. like violence is never the answer. But that all depends on the question. Uh, if the mm -hmm. if the question is how do we how do we let someone know that we're a bit upset that they spilt our drink on the dance floor, then violence is not the answer to that question. But if the answer is you know how do you protect yourself and those you love from someone or something that is trying to hurt. Uh, them or you, then violence is is very much an appropriate uh, answer. So, so those are the three main movements. Uh, and so, with the with the the combative skills, it's your your striking and grappling skills, uh, which are just really an extension of the of the manipulative and locomotive skills. So it's kind of a combination of of the two, but yeah, a little bit more specialized. With these movements, uh, I. Are we losing them now from birth, or at what point do does a human being um, start seeing a loss in this kind of movement? Yeah, well, so it, it's it's a conversation I have a lot because there is a um, there is a school of thought that is that is quite accepted that I think is a little bit 
uh, I think it misses the mark a little bit, and that is like people will talk about kids uh, and the way kids move, and they say things like, "Oh, we just need to move like kids." Like you know, watch a kid; they 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 have a perfect deep squat, and you know the way they pick things up is perfect. Like they keep their spine straight and they lift with their legs, and yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to move like kids. Uh, kids are uncoordinated. <laughs> like kids. Kids are cute and dorky, but they're they're not they're not formidable and graceful creatures. They're still like, you know, their their heads are too big for their bodies, and they're sort of you know they 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 stumble around and and kids have very good default patterns. And so I I don't think we are we are losing certain adaptations from birth uh, through um, you know diet and things like the diet of, of parents. Um, is affecting is affecting sort of I guess structural things uh, from birth, but as far as movement goes, we are all born with very very good default patterns. You know, generally speaking, like you know, you might have some some kinds of uh, congenital or uh, you know birth defects that that can can affect babies, but uh, most babies are born with very very good default movement patterns. The problem is uh, the way animals are designed to to develop those movement capacities is so you you take for instance a pair of lion cubs and so when they're young and they're all sort of cute and fluffy and cuddly they like they do things like they play fight and they stalk and and sort of pounce on each other and they chew their parents' ear and we look at, at things like that and we think it's just adorable. And they make these squeaky little noises where a roar should be. They're just sort of making these weird little sounds. But the older they get, so they, they reach a point where uh, like those, those lion cubs will reach a, reach a point where, say, for instance, uh, their parents will bring back a live gazelle for them to play with. And so they then play with the gazelle and then the, the, the adult lion will come up and kill the gazelle and then eat it. And so then they start to bring the gazelle back, but they won't kill it. They leave it up to the cubs to kill it. And so then the cubs then start going out and joining in on the hunts. And initially they just observe, but then the the adults will leave it up to the cubs to actually have to chase down and kill something. And so the game, the, the, the skills that they're developing have all come from those games that they did by default. So you don't have to train a lion cub. To, to play fight and to stalk and pounce, it's all very much in its DNA. But it's meant to develop those movements into adulthood where it ceases to become cute and cuddly and becomes something that, that is terrifying and, and formidable. And so you imagine to – sorry? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's sort of like an epigenetic expression of the movement itself. Like yeah. the environment actually affords – uh, the child to develop these movements into uh, like more defined skills rather than the early games that they would be they'd be playing. So the environment plays a big part in the formation of these skills for later on in life, even though they have the blueprint in them for the expression of these types of movements. Is that yeah, yeah. And so that's it. It's, it's the it's the default patterns that 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 children have, and we do still see it. But what we see is 
because adults are not moving the way they're meant to move, yeah. children reach an age where they go, okay, well, because I, I have so many clients that I see both both at my facility but also at all the MoveNat events that I, that I uh, run, I have people that say things like, oh, my God, you know, I used to do this when I was a kid. And, oh, when I was a kid, I used to be able to do this. And it should be the other way around. Like the, we're, we're designed for it to, to be the opposite way. We should be able to say, oh, weren't we, you know, like when I was a kid, I was terrible at this. Like now I'm much better at it. And, and kids should be looking to us to say, like, like when kids look at adults, they should be going, wow, like look at what they can do. Like look mm-hmm. at what they're capable that's the way it's meant to be but in the domestication process we've lost that and so there is still hope because we are still born like i said we're we're really no different to the human beings that were around uh you know 250,000 years ago and so we've still got all of those things within us and that's what again what movement is about is not teaching people new things it's about unlocking potential it's about remembering what and relearning what you already know what is within your body it's finding those default patterns and actually trying to develop them into what they should be uh, can you give us like an equivalent for the human beings in terms of uh, you know fostering those skills culturally do we have any practices where uh, it's common for the groups of human beings all around the world where we can see certain practices shared in common, which we think are cultural, but are, are actually embedded into our behaviors with children to teach them such yeah, things. Yeah, well, uh, so what you, what you sort of have to look for in this scenario is the kinds of things that kids do naturally. So to start out with, you look at things like um, like toddlers love to be chased and they love to chase. Again, you don't have to sit them down and explain that concept to them. They do it. Uh, like babies don't teach like – you don't teach a baby to crawl. They teach themselves. Uh, the reason they crawl is because they can't walk yet. Uh, the reason that they crawl the way they do is because of, of certain physical limitations. Uh, again, like the, you look at the – the deep squat pattern of a child, the reason they do that is because their head's too big and they were just overbalanced if they didn't squat with perfect form. So, mm-hmm. But if you okay. look at the games that, that kids play, um, kids roughhouse, kids play chase, uh, kids pick things up and throw things. Like, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things that you see so often these days is parents give like a phone to a little baby because uh, they see it and they want it, first thing they do is grab it and throw it. Yep. And it goes on the floor and cracks the screen and everyone's like, oh, no, but, well, <laughs> that's what they do. They want to. So there's these default movements that if we look at, uh, if we look at babies world over, it's universal, uh, they all want to crawl. When they crawl, they want to climb up to things. Then they get walking, then they get running. Then once they can do that, they're wanting to climb like on top of tables and on top of bookshelves. As soon as they can pick things up, they want to throw things. Uh, as soon as they can, uh, you know, as soon as they start interacting with each other, they start roughhousing. And then the, the interesting thing that, that I like to look at is the games, like you were saying, Fuad, that are, are cultural. And so 
if you actually go and look at the games played cross-culturally, so it uh, doesn't matter uh, what culture, what religion, it doesn't even really matter what age, uh, you know, uh, like every every country, every religion has a version of tag. Mm. doesn't matter where you go, kids want to play tag. And if you think then about what sort of evolutionary or what sort of um, biological skills um, that we are practicing there that would have seen that evolve as a default pattern, a game of tag is actually like, uh, so it's, it's predation and it's also evasion. It's learning how to run away from something or someone that is chasing you and it's learning how to chase down something that you want to chase down. So it's the very development of hunting and evasion skills. Uh, there is also things uh, like any kind of um, sort of dodgeball. Again, there's, there's versions of dodgeball all through Indigenous Australian culture, um, Native American culture, uh, you know, in the Middle East. In, it doesn't matter where you go there is versions of dodgeball, so throwing things accurately and with speed and dodging things. Uh, there is games, there's lots of language and dance games as well. And so, uh, again, we, we, we ask why dancing is, is something uh, that, that people do the world over. When you think about the kinds of things that are practiced when people do dance, like so not only is it used as a storytelling uh, tool traditionally, but uh, it's, it's something that a, 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 a friend of mine we were talking about recently uh, and he was talking about dancing. Like, There's a reason why guys that can dance are very popular with women. <laughs> like see a guy who can, who can uh, you know, cut a rug on the dance floor the girls are paying attention because if you think about what's actually being expressed in dance, there is a lot of physical prowess. So there is uh, there is rhythm, there's coordination, there is uh, like you can see from the way someone dances whether they move well. And so that's why women, again, it's a default pattern that they will look at a guy who can dance and go, that's a guy with physical prowess uh you know he has rhythm he has coordination uh you know he has uh endurance he has mobility and so there's lots of things that we look at culturally um that, that we can observe and we see there's really only a handful of uh of games that we play but there's just lots of different versions of them so all cultures have a form of of tag uh, all cultures have uh, like splinting and uh, like maximal expressions of like jumping and throwing. So like uh, they all have wrestling in them. That's a, again, that's something that, that anywhere you go in the world, there are forms of wrestling that, that are traditional to those areas. Uh, and so again, you think about that from a, from a, a physical point of view on what's actually being expressed. Someone who can wrestle generally speaking can fight uh and so that was a, it was a non-lethal way of of being able to sort out social conflicts and and being able to figure out pecking orders and so wrestling and roughhousing is an incredibly important uh aspect of all cultures 
uh, and a way that people develop social and physical intelligence, like sensory intelligence. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of research to show that children that weren't allowed to roughhouse are the ones that, you know, when people say the expression, uh, oh, he doesn't know his own strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People that have people that have been allowed to roughhouse know their own strength because they've they've explored it. Um, generally, the people like I, I do a lot of martial arts and, and wrestling and grappling, um, you know, sort of currently. And the people that I least enjoy wrestling are people who have never played contact sports because they don't know how to meter the dosage. There's mm-hmm. only only survival mode, so there's there's mm-hmm. nothing or there's flat out. And so, so yeah, there's, there's, you can look at these things, um, you know, in ancient culture, but also looking at, at, at modern culture, a, a lot of the games that, that kids play and even a lot of the sports that, that, that we watch and, and participate in have all come from ancient, uh, like ancient tribal practices. And so there's a reason why, people need motivation to often go to a gym and get on a treadmill and there's also a reason why people don't need motivation to they need less motivation to play games like if if you can uh, we are designed to learn through play and so so yeah that's why we do still hold on to a lot of those those cultural and tribal traditions um, even though they've they've often sort of evolved into um, sort of competitive team sports and things like that, but their roots are all based in the practice of those default patterns that I was talking about. So um, this is a, an interesting point in terms of having these games culturally embedded to uh, have some kind of genetic expression happening, and also for our bodies to be able to survive in, in the world uh, the way that they used but now that uh, this is no longer the case and we don't have to go around hunting or sprinting uh, what are the negative re- repercussions of not having these moments of lives anymore so what what do we see and at what what's like the minimum effective kind of amount of these things that we need in our lives to be healthy well, so like what we're seeing is, I mean, we all know about the obesity epidemic. Uh, you know, we, we all know about that. Uh, we also know about, because again, when you understand that the body is, is essentially a, a survival machine, yeah. uh, you, you start to understand that, that we, we really, our body does want to, our body wants to store fat. Uh, our body is designed to do it because, you know, back a few thousand years, we weren't able to find enough calories to store enough fat, and so uh, it's just our, our body wasn't ready for what was what was coming. And so, but we see things like um, a lot of social. Uh, you know, the have either of you guys uh, looked at the work of or, or, or listened to the work of Arthur Haynes? Yep, I, I have. Yeah, so. Arthur Haynes, uh, uh, he, he talks a lot about what we can learn from hunter-gatherer tribes and, and particularly sort of the way they raise their children and, and the way they are socially. But uh, anxiety and depression are non-existent in hunter-gatherer peoples. Hmm. It just doesn't. And we often hear, like we say things, and it's uh, like we have a lot of modern sayings that I don't think we, we delve deep enough into. So we'll often say things like, 
oh, sometimes the people with the least are the, are the happiest people there are, you know. Mm-hmm. So you look at someone who's really, really rich, but it doesn't bring with it happiness. And then you look at somebody who is super poor, uh, lives in a village, uh, they've got nothing to their name, but they're always smiling. And uh, I think we can delve a little bit deeper into that. Uh, so movement was a big part of our, our social and emotional well-being as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's again why we learn through playing. It's, it's all part of, of social conditioning. And uh, you imagine a child that has never uh, – so when children learn, like you look at toddlers and you observe them playing – they often have to learn to share the hard way. The reason they learn to share is because, you know, you might get a kid who keeps taking something that belongs to another kid and then the other kid bops them in the nose (laughs) and then they learn. They're like, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, if I keep taking everything, uh, there's a negative repercussion to that. And so a lot of these, a lot of the social conditioning, um, because we are social creatures, that's something that we don't, Really, we've been we've been conditioned uh, to sort of worship at the cult of individuality, but we are pack animals, and that's why when you look at uh, prisoners, like you, you take prisons for instance, they're they're a place that is full of the worst of the worst. So you've got rapists, murderers, thieves, all sorts of of dangerous, violent criminals. What's the worst punishment that we have in prison for for the the worst of the worst? Solitary confinement. We lock them up away from other people. We 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 take them and we we put them out on their own. We banish them, and so even the worst of the worst, the punishment for them is to take away human contact. Mm. And so we encourage people to say things uh, that I, I think are fairly empty, like oh, you know, people who don't need people are the happiest people, and mm. and you know, keep sort of parroting these sayings. But that's not the case. We are social animals and uh, the movements that we, uh, like, like these sorts of things that we were doing also developed that. And so there's the, there's the obvious physical problems that we have with mobility issues uh, and people with chronic, uh, you know, sort of chronic um, illnesses and things from, from lack of activity. But then we also look at the social and emotional breakdown of the human organism and a lot of that can be attributed to lack of movement and so like we do a lot of work with uh kids with sensory processing disorders Mm. and one best ways to increase their sensory awareness and and their, their sensory processing abilities is to get them to move the way they're designed to move because that requires uh, like the, the the whole reason we have senses is so our brain can collect information to inform our decision making, and so that's how we that's how our brain figures out not only what is happening around us but also um, what has happened to us in the past, so that we can then uh, make decisions that will uh, essentially bring about maximum positive outcomes and minimum negative outcomes, and so. If we if we're not moving and if we're not interacting with our environment, our senses just shut down because there's no need for them. Uh, our body doesn't maintain things that it doesn't need to maintain again because it's a survival machine. So, if you know if you don't sit, uh, if all you do is sit in chairs, your body doesn't worry about maintaining full mobility of the hips because it says, well, that takes energy. 
I need to save this energy up uh, in case of an emergency, and so I'm not going to worry about maintaining uh, full mobility of the hips. And then it says, oh, okay, well, I don't need to worry about um, you know, sort of maintaining good posture because I'm always looking down at a screen and I'm not ever looking around at my environment. So I'm going to shut down, like I'm going to atrophy the muscles around the neck and the spine. And then people end up with, you know, sort of bulging discs because, uh, you know, because a lot of people think that bulging discs happen because uh, you're lifting weight. But a lot of people that end up with disc injuries, it happens just getting in and out of the car. Hmm. Like, heavy weights is not necessary to bust your back you can get a busted back by just not keeping a healthy back uh, but even at a, at a really sort of um, uh, like micro level everything in our body requires movement movement is everything and so um, physical exercise helps circulate things through our body it helps uh, it helps with our limbic uh, sorry our lymphatic drainage so like like the lymphatic drainage system requires pumping. There is no, like there's no sort of pump for it other than movement. And so our immunity is very much tied to our lymphatic system uh, and our digestive system. If we move, we improve digestion. Uh, if we move, we improve circulation. Everything in our body requires movement. And so we really are, we're seeing... Um, like you, like Fouad, like you said, we don't need to hunt. We don't need to run away from predators. Uh, well, I mean, sometimes we do, uh, and that's that's the issue. We sort of because we don't have to do it as much. We seem to feel like we never have to do it. But there are still times where you need to fight off predators. It's just that predator might be some you know drunk weirdo at a bar, uh, and the instances of that are far less than what they used to be. So we, we still need movement because it's uh, like if you take, for instance, someone over in Africa who has to trek, you know, five kilometres to get fresh water and then carry that water five kilometres back home, if you think about what they're doing with their body and then you think about somebody who... Uh, gets ready for work and then has to carry their briefcase to the bus, get on the bus, drive, you know, get be driven 10 kilometres, then get off the bus and go to work and then do the same thing again in the afternoon, they're still using the same actual competencies. They're still walking and carrying and but they're just one is more heavily reliant on it than the other. And so it's, it's wrong to think that we don't need the same movement skills. We do need them. We just don't need to rely on them as heavily. So if we're, if we're you know, excuse my French, if we're crap at them, we can still survive. If we were crap at them back in the day, then we just starved to death. And so you can still be a, a, a lazy mover, but you can still go to KFC and get your calories and so you can still get food. It just comes a lot easier. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of a lot of issues, uh, you know, are linked in. Like if you if you take it and you keep asking, but why, and then somebody gives you the answer and you say, but why? If you keep tracing it back, mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with movement. Mm. So, this is. Um 
this culture that we're living in now is one where, um, of course, exercise is uh, always being, like we're always being told we need to exercise. And yeah. uh, in my view, because I come from a whole foods background and Joe does as well, we've often spoken about this on the podcast where we see um, like a whole food diet being um, the natural diet for a human being, one that is yeah. based on eating natural foods. And when you eat that way and it's nutrient-dense uh, organic food that's seasonal, you're getting what your body needs and you don't need supplementation in your life uh, in terms yeah. of like foods or vitamins or anything like that. And then you look at movement and you can compare our sedentary lives to junk food and you can say that it's the same thing. And then from there, uh, movement and exercise is a form of supplementation for us um, that will basically try to undo the damages of the sedentary life or the junk food life of movement that we have. Um, and there's so many forms of um, you know movement um, practices that one can do uh, from like Pilates or CrossFit or movement and all that kind of stuff and, and even traditional gym work. Um, a lot of people would have, um, I mean, most people I know who go to gyms are going to just normal gyms where they lift weights and run on treadmill. And um, I, I did that for years before I was exposed to this kind of uh, way of doing things. Um, and I'm just wondering from your perspective and if you can illuminate to the listeners um, what you see the, the faults are in things like traditional gym work um, versus a um, movement um, like move that. How yeah, so, you to... so the, the the thing with um, I mean, this is something that I, I often sort of say to people. Uh, nothing has all the answers. Um, you know, and there are always more than than one way to skin a cat. And so, but the the analogy you used of the, the of the whole food diet uh, is is spot on. And so. Uh, let's say, for instance, uh, there is somebody out there who really, really enjoys going to the gym and getting on the treadmill. Because um, the thing with the thing with healthy food is there really is uh, like I don't believe there is a such thing as a healthy food. There is just foods with different nutrient uh, content. So people think like broccoli or something. They're like, oh yeah, broccoli. That's really healthy. No, it's not. It's not. Broccoli is just broccoli. It's how you eat it that makes it healthy. Because if all you eat is broccoli, then you're going to end up sick. Because you're not getting you're not getting other nutrients, you're not getting other needs met. And so that's why with movement you need variety. Like you can say, okay, well, all I you know, you people talk about marathon runners and they say, Oh yeah, marathon runners, they're really they're really fit. They're really healthy. Are they though? Because they've all got knee problems. They've all got shin splints. Uh, you know, and so so well, you know, that's that's a form of specialty. That's a that's a form of of you know just eating broccoli. If you're a marathon runner, that's great. But every marathon runner will tell you that you need other work to supplement that in order to make up for uh, the, the fact that you are too sort of. Um, too heavy in that in that sort of uh, you know on that movement food, and so the the key really is variety. If you can find something like MoveNet that has that that really does cast a very broad net, uh, so there are there are uh, things where 
you're getting mental engagement, physical engagement, you're getting lots of different forms. So it's not just all heavy lifting, but it's also not just all, you know, sort of light, sort of lightweight, high rep kind of stuff where you're working on um, fine motor skills, but also ballistic power development and you're jumping, uh, you know, you know, things like box jumps, for instance, uh, people, I asked, once asked a CrossFitter, they were saying, oh, um, they said, oh, I really love doing box jumps. Like I just, I'd love, you know, like box jumps are just one of the best exercises ever. And I asked them why and they said, oh, it's just like, I mean, you know, jumping is like a really important human skill. And I said, yeah, but what box jumps, like what, what are they really practicing? <laughs> like, oh, like jumping up and down from something. I said, yeah, jumping up and down from a box. Could you like? Does that necessarily mean that you're going to be able to jump from one box to another accurately? No. You know, in order to do that, you need to jump from one box to another. Does it mean you're going to be able to jump down from something like really high and land safely? No. In order to get better at that, you need to practice that. And so, my sort of, uh, I'm not, I'm not too militant about. Uh, you know, sort of what people train, I more try to encourage people to get a wide variety. Like, uh, you know, you have to enjoy what you're doing. There has to be some social benefit. Uh, you know, you could, if I locked myself away, for instance, if I sort of said, no, I'm, I'm only going to do move nat and I'm going to ostracize myself from society in order to move like a caveman all the time and I'm going to go completely off grid, then I'm going to start to suffer ill effects of uh you know that that isolation you know it's going to start to be like solitary confinement and so if i'm not doing something that that requires me to also interact socially if i'm doing something that i have to sacrifice too much sleep in order to do if if i'm you know what i mean like it, it has to be about variety and it has to be balanced it's exactly the same as food uh you know there is there is no such thing really as completely terrible movement. Uh, any movement is good movement, but it really needs, you need to be thinking the same way you think about food. Like you need to care about what you're putting in your body. You also need to care about what you're doing with it. Uh, you know, you can't just sort of shovel stuff in. Like if, if somebody gave you uh, some, some weird looking plant and said, here, eat this, you're not going to eat it. You're going to ask them what it is. You're going to say, "But what? What? What are you? What are you giving me?" No, no, don't worry about. It. Just eat it. You know, I, I need to know what it is. Like, is it poisonous? Like, is it? Is it like? What does it do? Where did it come from? What is it? What is it? And so, same thing with the movement. Like, ask why. Don't just sort of because a lot of people do think that it is like a supplement, and a lot of people treat it the way they treat supplements in their normal life, and that is oh, well, if I take this, it makes up for the fact that I'm not doing a proper job of it anyway. And so they go to the gym as like a penance. And so they, they see it as like a, a punishment. Like it's, it's yeah. oh, I had a massage bar and so I now need to atone for my sins and so I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to, I'm going to sort of prostrate myself at, at, the, gods of, at the gods of fitness guilt. Um, but, yeah, it's the same thing. As, it's the same thing uh, with with food you don't just supplement for the sake of it you need to know what it is and why you're putting it in your body uh the other thing that i would warn people about though with, with a lot of traditional fitness 
And this is something that, that I sort of focus very heavily on. And it is, it is one of the things that really um, struck me about MoveNet. So uh, like full disclosure with MoveNet, MoveNet didn't teach me anything I didn't know already. Um, I was already like I was able to go and, and do my um, certification training without any practice. It was all stuff that I already knew how to do because of the way I grew up uh, and because of the way I had continued to move throughout my life. But what I've found in MoveNet well, and what I recognized in MoveNet was it was a, a really, really amazing system for getting people who weren't as lucky to have the upbringing as I was to try and give them the same foundation that I had. And one of their, one of their philosophies is getting conditioning through skill development because uh, a lot of people try and reverse engineer it. Like people go to the gym so that they can get fit so that they can then go and try and do something else. <laughs> Move that's philosophy is train what you're like, get your conditioning through the skill development actually develop the skills and then the conditioning will happen. Don't don't go and try and train to get fit so you can then practice the skills. Get fit practicing the skills. Mm-hmm. And so I find that a lot of traditional fitness is based around negative motivation. It's it's based around uh, cookie cutter um, like cookie cutter ideas of what health and fitness looks like. And it's based around essentially selling people um, unhappiness. It's it's taking advantage of of a lot of people's insecurities, uh, and they say, oh, you know, you uh, you need to look like this, and we've got the pill, like we've got the answer. Uh, focusing on, like I would encourage people to focus on what they're capable of. Don't worry about how you look. Uh, don't worry about getting fit. Like you know, people say, I want to get fit. Fit for what? Like, what is it that you want to get fit for? Like, is it to keep up with the... You taught me that was uh, standing up from the ground. And this is one of the things that I was just really, like, I I enjoyed learning. (laughs) Like, it's it's so funny because I've been to gyms um, for, you know, years in my life and uh, I had no clue how to get up. Like, if I was sitting on the ground, I didn't know how to get up. And even though I could have, you know, bulked up with muscle, could be fast or whatever it is, um, I still didn't know how to stand up. I didn't know how to get myself to the ground. And uh, that, that's a, a very good point you're, you're making. But isn't it also true that you definitely get uh, benefit from conditioning? Let's say you do sprints or you lift weights or things like that, that when the time comes for you to come and carry that um, you know, sofa with your brother and help him move house, that you will be stronger for it. Like there, well, there is- that's, that's what I mean is that those... It's about developing the skills. So, for instance, if um, if you're not developed, like, like like sprinting, for example, sprinting will get you better for if you need to sprint. Um, if I wanted to, like, let's say, for instance, I said, oh, I want to get better as a swimmer. Sprints aren't going to help me get better as a swimmer. Swimming is going to help me getting better as a swimmer. And so if you want to, like, yeah, like lifting, lifting things, um, like, like you said, like helping your brother move a couch. The way to get better at that is to do unusual lifting. It's not to do bicep curls. Do you know what I mean? Like, so there's, there's a whole heap of junk training. Like it's, it's sort of, um, yeah, like junk food training out there where people say, I want to get stronger. And so, well, why not get better 
and then you'll get stronger at the, and what I mean by getting better is like, um, become like develop the skills. Don't worry about saying, Oh, I want to get stronger. So I'm going to do bicep curls or well, why not climb and lift? And then you'll get bigger biceps, but you'll also develop the skill at the same time. It's essentially just trying to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. So a lot of people go, Oh, well, I want to go and get stronger so I can be more useful outside the gym. Okay, well, make sure that what you're training inside the gym involves skills that are going to help you outside the gym. Bicep curls are going to give you bigger biceps. They're not necessarily going to help you shift a couch. Shifting a couch has got to do with all sorts of things like cooperative training, um, all different sort of muscles like deadlifting and hip hinging and being able to balance precariously as you walk up and down steps. And so doing bicep curls to get better at helping someone shift a couch is, is a, a waste of time. <laughs> Going and actually doing a whole heap of yeah. different lifting, that'll get you better at it. I've been doing CrossFit since this maybe my fourth or fifth time. And, um, you know, I do wish there was like a MoveNet gym next to where I live, but there isn't. And I'm using yeah. CrossFit functional training, and I do enjoy aspects of it. One of the things, like, for instance, we're doing is, like, uh, I was trying to go up a rope, and I found that really useful. I thought that's yeah. a skill that, you know, I, I love, I'd love to be able to to do. But uh, another one that they had was this, like, I was carrying this ball, and I was doing, like, squats with the ball, then sort of standing up and then throwing the ball in the air, catching it, and repeating that over and over. And yeah, it just wall. Felt, Yeah, wall balls. And I was like... I can understand like set, throwing something from the ground, but just doing ten times in a row, like in that kind of sequence, just didn't, didn't make much sense to me. It didn't seem as functional as pulling myself up with a rope. And um, they they do have these kinds of things where uh, part like part of the movements are just incredible for uh, functional training, but other stuff just doesn't make too much sense in day to day life, like the box jumps or something like that as well. Um, to me, it's more the application. Like I, I'm, I was a CrossFit coach, um, you know, sort of uh, as, as well. And so I, I worked over in the States as a CrossFit coach when I was over there playing rugby. And uh, CrossFit, I have a bit of a, I guess, a love-hate relationship with CrossFit. I see that there are a lot of really, really good benefits to CrossFit. Um, what it does better than any other system is it gets people actually off their ass and it gets people engaged and it gets people moving. Uh, but there's and because the word functional grinds my gears uh, because I've, I've seen it become just this buzzword that um, that, that is being misused. Uh, functional just depends. Like when people say functional training, you go, "Well, what's the function?" And people say, "Oh, like a lot of people think functional just means difficult." Yeah, isn't it opposed to like a single plane of motion where you're, for instance, doing bicep curls yeah. or anything like that? You're actually trying to do more a more um, a you know some kind of movement that you would do in real life as a function. Yeah, well, so, so that's my like that's that's the thing with functional movement is what is functional for a downhill slalom skier to train is going to be different for what's functional for a power lifter to train, and so. What needs to be thought of, and this is the thing, is just about any movement can become beneficial. It all depends on the mindset and the application while you're doing it. And so if you, if you go a little bit further than functional, 
and you actually try to start thinking about practical, that's when you start to get these real benefits. And so like the wall balls, for example, um, yeah, like throwing something from your chest up to a height, like, uh, you know, if you were helping someone load up their four-wheel drive for a camping trip, uh, you're going to be using that even in the, in the negative uh, sense, uh, like in the reverse sense, um, somebody throwing something down to you uh, from the top of a four-wheel drive or from a, a second-story balcony, like those sorts of things, that, that, that pattern is very functional and it is very practical. But doing 150 of them just in a – like like up from the same point to the same point and never really changing the mechanics – that's where, to me, it kind of becomes a little bit null and void. You go, well, there's more to practicing throwing things than just doing the same throw again and again and again. You need the variety. Uh, you need to be able to change not only the like the size of the objects that you're throwing, but the trajectory and uh, the application of it. And so. That's why, to me, I think the most important thing for people is to just try and put a little bit of a different lens on the way they view movement and start to think about how they can change it so that it's going to help them outside of a gym because nobody goes to a gym to get better at going to the gym. Initially, everyone goes to a gym so that they can get better at whatever they're doing outside of the gym, even if that's some guy starts going to a gym because he wants to get you know, uh, a better physique so he can start having more luck with the ladies on the weekend. It doesn't matter. He's, he's training to get better at doing something outside of a gym. So you shouldn't ever lose sight of exactly what it is that you're trying to get better at. Um, if you, if you want to get better at keeping up with the kids, then make sure that everything you're doing always has that sort of lens. Uh, make sure you're always looking at it through that lens. Like, how can I change this, or how can I how can I alter what I'm doing so that it is going to make me better at keeping up with my kids? How can I change this so it's going to make me better at life rather than just doing what you're doing because someone told you to do it? Always ask those questions. Why? Like, how is it benefiting me? What am I putting? Like, what am I doing with my body? What is the benefit? What is the cost? Um, like, do the, do the, does the risk um, outweigh the reward or does the re reward outweigh the risk? And so people just need to start asking more the same way with their food. They need to start caring about what they put inside their body, start caring about what you do with it. Matt, can I just ask you for some practical advice for kids like what kind of exercises yeah. can parents get their kids to do at home to help them with all this kind of stuff? Um, just getting them moving more. The, the good thing about kids is that they love to play. If you can make a game out of it, you can you can get them to do just about anything. But mm. um, yeah, but just older just, kids too, like what, you know, like teenagers. Um, they, I just notice with a lot of people that I help, you know, kids with anxiety, kids with gut issues. I think a lot of it, it's not just the food. It's also, like you say, they're not getting out into nature. They're not getting out into fresh air. They're not running around and doing things. They're stuck inside at school. Then they're at home doing homework. Then they're at the computer. They're at the TV. And I know yeah. in with my own boys, that's been a big thing. We've had to work on um, getting them outside more, and that really helps with their mindset. Um, yeah. Is yeah, so no, I, I sort of with, with kids to me, the um, 
like it's important to to try to like one of the things that's important is to is to model to them that it's okay for adults to move. Yeah. Uh, so when kids, because one of the things that kids also do by default is they mimic their parents. Mm. Uh, again, there's a there's a an evolutionary um, sort of reward system set up for that behaviour. That is how because before there was a formal education system, that was the only way you learned was by watching, observing, and doing. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that's how children learned how to do the things was by looking at the adults and going, "Wow, that's how it's supposed to be done." And so then they would they would keep trying until they could do something that resembled what the adults were doing. The issue is if our kids see us doing nothing but looking at a computer screen and sitting in a chair, they're going to model that behaviour. Because I remember when we were little kids because dad was a, uh, like like dad was a carpenter by trade, um, we always wanted to be sort of building things. And we were, you know, when we were little kids, we were sort of hammering, you know, imaginary nails in and all these sorts of things. And, um, and, you know, like we would also model mum, like, you know, sort of we would want to put an apron on and help her in the kitchen. And so I think it's really important to just try to model. I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit harder for teenagers because they, they sort of hit, they hit that sort of too cool for school stage. Um, but like um, sport, sport is a good thing, but yep. also sports not for everyone. Like yeah, some kids just don't. I've got one son who's totally into sport and another one who really isn't. And he's the one yeah. that I get most concerned about because he's such a, um, he loves the computer. He loves learning languages and all that kind of thing, but it's all inside stuff. So, you know, I need, need to find ways to get him out more. And, yeah, um, I sort of find I find that the like a lot of the stuff that we do in our kids' classes, uh, we have a lot of success with kids that are not uh, like a lot of the kids that come along to our kids' classes are specifically kids that do not do well in team sports. And mm. uh, but uh, again, that that idea of of uh, like kids that like computer games, mm. they like games. Yeah, and so you can muck around with them and, and you can make it essentially like a, I mean, we, we did a, a session here last week where we had um, like some soft foam balls. Like there was uh, each team had 10 uh, soft foam balls and I basically just made a, a sort of indoor uh, skirmish game. And <laughs> well, they love the that. Kids, <laughs> well, they're like, they're like, oh, it's like Call of Duty. Yeah, and exactly. They're all sort of adding things on to the game, and they just they ran with it, you know. Like yeah. they, they they took it, they ran with it, and so just finding they do things love, um, like having their Nerf wars around the neighbourhood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so encouraging encouraging them to yeah. do things like that. I mean, all kids, like particularly boys, they all want to wrestle. Yeah. Um, they all want to. They all want to roughhouse. Like. Uh, I know, uh, like Saturday morning for us when we were kids was always uh, that was roughhouse morning. Mm. Like Dad would come into our bedroom and yep. he would start with the tickling, and then it would end up um, usually with Mum in tears because someone <laughs> had put their head on the wall or something. But uh, but it was to us it was some of the best memories that we have of childhood mm. was just wrestling from one end of the house to the other and any sort of stuff that you can do like that to try and get um to try and get them engaged and enjoying it mm-hmm. um and and don't sort of um, it's only, sorry 
I'm happy to report that girls enjoy it as well. I have a four and yeah. a half and a six and a half. And, yeah, they definitely love wrestling with me. And they yeah, also no. like mirror my movements. I've got a slack line that I put out back. And they don't yeah. really play unless I'm going out and playing. And all of a sudden, like they want to go on it. And they, you're right. Like they do look look at us for their movement patterns. Mm. And sometimes when they even the way that they move their body is similar to the way I move my body, which is not a great thing. But... You know, like they model us psychologically uh, and physiologically as well. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And so, so yeah, with with people trying to get kids moving, uh, I, I think sometimes it can be a little bit of a um, it can be a bit of an uphill battle. Uh, but I think that's more so, um, yeah, just find something that they enjoy mm. and and encourage them to. You can even take that, even if what they enjoy is not super physical, just try and sort of take elements of that yeah. and find ways to make it physical well, um, us, our our main um fun time i guess for myself and the kids and my husband as well is really just going bushwalking and climbing around creeks yeah. and waterfalls and swimming and it's just that i think we just need to do it more often we might only do it once every week or two but um where we live it's just the perfect environment and when i was a kid that's what we did every single weekend we were out all day yep. just swimming and walking and climbing and kayaking and um you know we were always very fit kids and we didn't we didn't do exercise you know we were always outside yeah um, well and i think that's probably a, a, so a really important aspect of it is doing things that are not exercise mm. like exercise to kids feels like homework yeah because i do uh, i do workouts and they're just like oh no i don't want to do that you know yeah because <laughs> i try to get them involved it's, yeah it's too much like school yes it's, but games games are fun but if and, i take them know, for a walk they enjoy fun. that and running with the dog yeah. and stuff like that yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never I've never been a gym person myself. I've been one day of my life. So yep. I'd rather, much rather be outdoors. Go ahead for it. Yeah, so, no, that's I've, I've had this actually this is what, a question I've had. Like one of the things that uh, I've done recently is I have a reserve next to my house that I found which is incredibly beautiful. I didn't even know it was there. And then I started going and um, just for a walk. And then all of a sudden, I found myself running in it. And it's not like something I do. I don't. I'm not a runner, you know. Man? <laughs> yeah. And and now I'm loving it. I used to hate running, and I still do. If you put me like on the streets, I, I just would never do it. Um, what's the with with MoveNet? Uh, where does nature come in? Because I know you're focusing on natural movement, but. Uh, there's also whenever you look at videos of people doing move net, it's always um, in nature. Even though our training was in a gym, where does nature fall into the philosophy, and um, you know how to best incorporate it? Yeah, well, so I mean, um, nature, like the actual sort of training outdoors, is one of those things that, um, uh, like, our environment, like it or not, as modern humans, is largely man-made, uh, but what nature offers is uh, like how I was talking about that, that sensory activation. Like mm. when you go out into nature, because it is a constantly changing and evolving thing, the, the amount of sensory awareness that you develop by being out there. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that you would notice every time you go on a, on a bushwalk. Uh, if you actually just stop and 
become aware of your surroundings, mm-hmm. you will see things that you didn't see. Like you will all of a sudden see that everywhere around you is alive. Like you will notice little insects, you notice little reptiles, you notice birds, you notice sounds. And so uh, from my perspective, um, training outdoors is not necessarily a, like it's, it's a bonus, but if you live in an area where you don't have a reserve sort of, you know, nearby and all you have is, is an urban environment, then that's fine, but you need to interact with it. Because again, that is something that we we're sort of conditioned societally not to do. Hmm. Like we stick to the path. And I, I was once I was doing some uh, some parkour uh, with a, with a bunch of guys here in Brisbane who um, uh, they would go early on a Sunday morning, and so I just I, I tagged along with them and, and, and showed them some of the stuff that I do. And and so, uh, but we were doing a, a little run that we that we'd sort of figured out. And it was up, so it was beside a long staircase. Uh, but beside the beside the set of stairs, there was a wheelchair access ramp, uh, and so it was a very, very sort of tall flight of steps. So the the wheelchair access ramp had sort of about five switchbacks in it, and there was a whole bunch of garden beds sort of built into it. And we were running up the guard, like jumping over the paths, um, climbing up walls, all the rest of it, getting to the top. And there was a guy that sat there and watched us for a while and he was kind of – he was watching us but he was annoyed at what we were doing. <laughs> and after a while he said, um, he said, why don't you just use the bloody steps? <laughs> he, he thought he was being funny but like because he was just, you know, but it was clearly annoying him that we were doing what we were doing. And I said, I'll race you to the top. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you want to know why we don't use the steps, I'll race you to the top. <laughs> I said, you start at the bottom of the steps. I'll start here and we'll see who gets up there first. And he said, and he sort of, because he started to get a little bit huffy and he said, I don't see your point. I said, well, what if I had to get from here up to there as quickly as I could? For me, that's that way. For you, it's the stairs. If we were getting to the top to a million bucks, I'd be a million bucks richer than you would. <laughs> and so that's like we, we sort of had this societal conditioning to follow the path and to stay like we go to parks and there's they put walking paths around the park. Why not just let people walk around the park? Yeah. Like why do you have to always lay things out? And so well, we're not part of the natural environment. No, didn't you yeah, know? We, yeah, we've been, been separated from it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's one of those things that to me that's why, like, I mean, nature is a, a very much a, a big bonus, like being able to train outdoors in that constantly changing and, and very sort of um, very chaotic. I mean, it is. It's, it's quite a chaotic environment. Like it's always <laughs> changing. There's a, lot more, there's a lot more things that can go wrong, which means you're far more mindful while you're doing mm, it. Yeah. It's not. Well, that's, it makes stupid. it so much more interesting to me though. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, and that's that's definitely like if if that you know if everyone could, then that would be awesome. Mm. Some people can't. That doesn't mean they still can't get engaged. Sorry, man, keep going. I was just going to say, like, 
um, even people who live in a very heavily sort of uh, urban environment can still interact with their environment. They just need to start to sort of break down the barriers and think outside the box. Hmm. Um, with, with Just going back to this with kids, um, one of the things that I've been told recently is to get them to do the different animal walks. Do you do all that kind of thing with them, like for their development, just learning all the especially kids with sensory processing disorder and things like that? Yeah, yeah well, so um, crawling makes up a big part of, like, we're, we're always trying to get kids down and crawling because yeah. it's a, um, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I also like to get adults crawling. It's one of my favourite things to do with people because uh, when you say to someone we're going to crawl, a lot of people assume that's an easy thing mm. because it's what babies do. But to crawl from a practical sense uh, requires a lot of stability. And, and when you think about when you would crawl um, over or under something, um, you know, sort of when you're crawling underneath something, you often need to be able to do it, you know, sort of at speed and it's about staying as low as you can. And when you're crawling, like if you were going over something very high, you would want to crawl. Like if you were cleaning out the gutters mm. um, on a two-story house, you would want to be down on all fours when you were mm. close to the edge. You wouldn't want to just stand up precariously. And so um, crawling is one of those things that a lot of people don't have uh, the, like their patterns are broken down. And so it's, all, it's something that we have all done, but it doesn't take long. And so it's a really good uh, metaphor for, for movement in general because even though it's something that we've all done at some point, as soon as you start to ask people to go back into that, a lot of people can't do it mm. and their, their body just hasn't bothered to maintain that, that pattern. And, um, particularly with kids, uh, like it's scary to me uh, when I get kids that are like, um, you know, sort of four, you know, sort of four years old, mm-hmm. their movement is, um, is still quite good. And so they can crawl, they're quite coordinated, um, they, they can do all the sorts of things, they, they've got good mobility in their hips. The difference between a four-year-old and a six-year-old is visible wow. because they've already started sitting, they've already started, um, you know, they've already started, you know, going to school. The difference between a six-year-old and an eight-year-old is devastating to me. Wow. Like it's, it, it hurts me to see the, the difference that, that happens to children in such a short space of time and yeah. um, the, the difference in coordination, the difference in, in everything, even though they're getting bigger and stronger, um, they're, they're often, uh, 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 yeah, mm. and so it's, it really is terrifying to me to see the kinds of, of uh, steps backwards children even at the age of eight are taking it's funny you should mention that i was talking to my friend who's a remedial therapist yesterday and she said that she had a boy come to her she was she also is a pilates instructor and she was working with him and um, i think he was six to eight somewhere in there and he couldn't even squat he couldn't physically get his bum down enough to squat yeah i thought what like i don't even have any trouble doing that i've no problem doing that and i'm thinking how come a kid that age can't do that yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, it's alarming. And yeah. so the, the, the less we, the less we um, 
yeah, essentially the, the, the less activity that we're requiring of children these days, that it's, it's really becoming alarming how, because it used to be it wasn't until someone's, um, you know, like all through your childhood you were still moving. You know, yeah, you, were, yeah. you were running at school, you were going and running around on the weekends, you were riding your push bike yeah. everywhere. You know, you were sort of, you know, like for, for us, we were, you know, riding horses and, and yeah. climbing trees and helping dad out and going hunting and fishing and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And that, for me, didn't really ever stop. But for most people, it didn't stop until, you know, you know maybe sort of university or, or work. Yeah. Like people were still extremely active at school. Yeah. So, but, yeah, now we're seeing, yeah, kids, Starting really kids very much. Well, you yeah, do, you do see kids right from the time of two years old. You know, they're sitting there in crams with iPads um, and I'm yes. not having a go at anyone who does that. But it just, for me, like um, my kids were always walking with me and I'm sure it had to go slow. <laughs> um, but as soon yeah. as they could walk, I was trying to get them to walk. And I generally had another baby that had to be in the pram anyway. <laughs> had four kids but um yeah we didn't actually have a tv or computer growing up so we were always outside always yeah we'll see dad dad loathed um any kinds of computer games or or (laughs) tv was a tv was unless it was uh the abc weather or the 730 report yeah Yeah. when we were someone's place we we were told play outside you know, don't turn the TV on. So, yeah. yeah. The is a thing that most parents are afraid of. Like we are just, um, you know, we don't want our kids out of our sight anymore. Yeah, that's we just it. Can't. We have yeah, well, but this is, this is again something that's, that's the, the research is showing us very much that um, without risk, like kids need risky play. Mm. Kids need to learn how to manage risk and how to solve um, physical problems and so isn't it? yeah and it, what they're finding is in order to save the discomfort of a bumped and scraped knee when they're a kid it's actually having quite a, a, a like a far greater toll mm. on children when they grow up without those sorts of uh, of, of learnings in their in their database and so mm. uh, you know it's like that thing when we talk about the um, the you know sort of violence isn't the answer, and you know like a lot of a lot of parents don't like their kids to to wrestle or roughhouse with other kids. But um, you you would much rather your child learn at the age of four that it's not okay to get pushy and shovey with someone because they're probably going to you know punch you back. Mm-hmm. You want them to learn that when they're young rather than when they're eighteen yeah, exactly. years old and gut full of alcohol. I think they're the king of the Arthur Haynes. You mentioned Arthur, Arthur Haynes before, and for anyone who hasn't heard of Arthur Haynes, uh, there's a few podcasts with Daniel Vitalis on uh, Rewild Yourself podcast, which is an excellent podcast. I mentioned it here many times, but um, he says uh, about his daughter, he's got a, a, a baby daughter, which he said as she was growing older, he would have um, this um, metal stove in his house or the, the fireplace. I can't really remember which one it was. But he would sort of uh, wait until it's cool enough so that it doesn't actually burn her, but it's still really hot. She yeah, always would teach a lesson. That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just he goes, she touched it once, you know, and she, <laughs> that was yeah. all it took to remember that she shouldn't do that again. And um, indigenous cultures would let kids play with knives, like they put the knives out, and the, yeah. the kids would play with 
encouraging anyone to do that, but um, this is uh, something that, that's been part of the way that we parent for a long time to, to allow kids to have um, their own sovereignty or on their own uh, decision making. Um, yeah. and, uh, not, not to be sort of looked at as uh, people that we own or uh, we have to make decisions for them all the time, that they, they should, should be given the ability and opportunity and the environment to express them themselves and what they want from an early age, but also to understand that their decisions come with repercussions so yeah. that they're not yeah. questioned. But, um, yeah, on the, on the knife thing, like that was, um, like I have uh, I have a little saying, like I stole it from somewhere, but I always say a man without a knife is a man without a life. Um, <laughs> My husband would agree with you. <laughs> I was when I was uh, like w- when all of us boys were twelve years old. That's when we got our first knife. Yeah, my kids um, pretty much have dad, two. Yeah, Dad made sure that those knives were that sharp that they could shave uh, the uh, like the hair off his arms, mm-hmm. and he would give us the knife. And the only instruction that we got with it was Dad would like take a, a slice of hair off his arm, and then say. That's bloody sharp. If you muck around with it, you'll get cut. And that was it. <laughs> and so you learned I've never cut myself badly with a knife because mm. I had that much sort of respect for them as a child, seeing how sharp they were, that I've I've learned to deal with knives in a very careful way. Mm. Um, people that don't know knives or people that only know blunt knives, yeah. they're the ones that are more likely it's to chop a finger. Yeah. 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 And so, so you yeah, know, I think there's a lot to be said for that kind of stuff with, with kids. And, I mean, my father, um, it was that age of 12. Like mm. um, my dad had a, had, a, had a heart-to-heart with me when I was 12 years old and, um, like, I, I, um, I said something under my breath. He'd, he'd given, he chastised me for, for mm-hmm. arguing with my mother and then he left the room and under my breath I, I thought I'd be manly enough um, to tell him to go stick it. Um, of course, not loud enough for him to hear it, but mum heard. So mum said, what did you say to your father? And I hear dad just boom, 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 turn around and come back in the room. And and so he said, you know, like, what did you say to me? And I thought, well, you're either a man or a mouse. And so I told him to his face what I'd said. And, uh, and he dragged me um, up from the table and he couldn't figure out what to do because um, he sort of looked at me and he sort of, he's ended up giving me a smack on the bum and I just looked at him like, you serious? Like a smack on the bum. And so then he said, oh, you're a bit old for that, aren't you? And I said, yep. And he goes, all right, well, let's, you know, let's go over to the shed and have a talk about it. And so we actually went over and, you know, he sat me down and gave me, uh, you know, my first beer and said, look, if you're too old to get a smack in the bum, he said, you're a man. And he said, so, he said, from now on, he said, if you're too, if you're too old to get a smack in the bum, he said, if you mess up bad enough, it'll be a smack in the mouth. Yeah. And he said, so you're, you're officially a man, so, so act like. And from that age on, from 12, and I, I, I sort of, I know like when I was in the States, I, I, I sort of played rugby with a lot of guys who were sort of perpetual frat boys <laughs> and they used to say things to me. They were like, oh, like, oh, what's your problem, man? Like you're still young. Like you're not, you know, like you're still a kid. And I was like, I'm 25 years old. I'm, I've been a man since I was 12. Like <laughs> Uh, that's I don't know what kind of life you're living, but I think that is that's what I mean. Dad didn't 
um, that that was that was dad, and I never got a smack in the mouth from dad because I never messed up bad enough. Because there was that real accountability of, okay, well I'm I'm now an adult, and with that comes responsibility. And mm. so, I think there is, I think um, we we make a mistake of treating children like they are idiots. Yeah. Um, and and but kids are are devilishly smart, yes. and uh, and we know it because we see them sort of. Uh, we see them push the limits and we see them sort of, uh, particularly when they're young, kids are so manipulative um, and they're so good at being manipulative and, uh, you know, sort of throwing fake tantrums or, or sort of, you know, pretending to be more hurt so they can get their, their siblings in trouble and stuff like that. Um, like kids are incredibly intelligent. And so to me, I sort of think that is a big mistake that we make is we don't trust our kids with, uh, the intelligence to make informed decisions, but they really are that smart. And mm. if we can provide an environment where it is, uh, where the consequences, because, uh, again, like if we, if we just let kids, uh, like climbing trees, for example, <laughs> if we just let kids climb a tree and we don't teach them how because we can't actually get up there ourselves, they learn by trial and error. Yeah. If we can climb up there with them and show them, that's when they go, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. And so we can say to them, like, you know, make sure you don't, um, like if you can climb up there, you can climb down from there. Just remember that. So don't ever panic. Um, if you got up there, you can get down from there. So, you know, just sort of keep your wits about you and keep climbing down and also teach them how to land. Like if they fall out of a tree, make sure they know how to land because um, it's not, it's not falling out of a tree that hurts you. It's when you hit the ground on the other end. And so, yeah, I think I think we just need to. I think we need to trust our kids a lot more to make the decisions that that, yeah. that are that come naturally to. You don't wrap them up in cotton wool. Yeah, because the, the the overall cost in the long run is far greater. It is. Mm. Now we're good. up on time. So, um, can you let our listeners know where to find out more about you and uh, your gym and what you do? Yeah, so uh, you can check us out at uh, stage6fitness.com.au. Uh, we're also on Facebook uh, and Instagram as stage6fitness. Um, yeah, if you check us out, like we're, we're regularly posting stuff on there. Uh, I've got a bit of a blog um, sort of explaining my philosophies and why we do things the way we do things here. Um, there's some sort of, uh, some light uh, reading there for, for anyone who's interested. But uh, but yeah, other than that, just the, the usual the usual channels of social media. Okay, what's your blog address? Um, that's on our website okay. um, as well. So if, yeah, if you go to stage six, six. we'll yep. put the link in the notes anyway, so that people can click on that. That'll be good. Yeah, thank you so much for that. That's very helpful. Thank you very much for having me, guys. And, yeah, thank you for facilitating. Uh, pleasure. Thank you so much for, for coming on board. We really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.